0: Hi, this is Aaron Azrod, and welcome to the 44th episode of the Truth Island podcast. In life, we all do things that are wrong, things that we are not proud of. Sometimes we are able to catch ourselves in the moment, or the next day, we pick up the phone and apologize to someone that we may have wronged. Sometimes the issue, however, is not so easy. Suppose you have wronged someone, but they have also wronged you as well. Should you be the first one to apologize? Should you wait for them to come to you? Does it matter the severity of how much you were wronged in relation to the other person? What about people in childhood? You may have wronged years and years and years ago when you were an entirely different person. Do we owe it to ourselves to reach out to the ghosts of the past and make amends? Lastly, suppose the person you are apologizing to does not forgive you. How many times can one possibly say, I'm sorry, before you should be forgiven? And for that matter, are the words sorry even enough? These are some of the difficult questions that I'm about to grapple with. But thankfully, I am once again joined by Sam, who is going to help share some insights on just how reflection and forgiveness work.
1: Hey, Aaron, how are you today?
0: Doing great, my friend.
1: My story today begins with a cautionary tale about the boomer generation. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, my parents were actually pretty good at apologizing if there were was any issue or perceived mistake in the relationship. I remember my dad uh sort of pacing outside my door one morning because he had gotten in late the night before and was tired and uh kind of ornery and I had sort of ticked him off and he had responded in a really kind of angry way and uh he felt bad about it all night and to the degree that he wanted to um, eagerly to apologize to me. So I'm not so, th- so much thinking of my parents when I say this, but I'm thinking of sort of their generation and their peer group. Um, it was something I've noticed, especially in that older generation. And I'm sure I noticed it in the generation above them first, although I, don't, I didn't have as much time with that uh, builder generation as I did with the boomer. Um, something I've noticed with boomers, especially, and it's trickled down to Younger generations, even millennials like us, is kind of an un, uh, inability or unwillingness to, to, uh, to apologize, to say, uh, to say that I'm sorry, wow. um, and and I don't know where it comes from. If it's a fear of, you know, just being wrong or sort of like, uh, humiliated or uh, kind of to stand out in a negative way. Uh, to to say you're sorry is to sort of own everything that's wrong about the situation. I don't know where it comes from, but something I've noticed in, in sort of to compensate for that, uh, again, among this generation of people is to, you know, instead of saying, I'm sorry, or will you forgive me, uh, or I messed up is to sort of beat around the bush, you know, to be extra nice to you or to you know, to to pay, give you more attention, or something like that, as a kind of as a consolation prize to being just straightforwardly dealt with. Mm. Um, and and there's nothing nothing beats the good old fashioned approach of just owning what you've done, or at least starting a conversation where some uh, some closure and resolution can occur.
0: We all have um, these moments where we know that we've done something wrong. But that apologizing is sort of a like a, a sacrifice of the ego in, in a way. And I, I think that many people feel highly uncomfortable. And and this actually goes with admitting that you're wrong about something, whether it's you know morally or even factually, because when you admit that you're wrong or you apologize, your ego, you are putting your ego on some type of sacrificial altar. And I think it's easier to kind of just be like, all right, well, I, I can internalize that I've done something wrong and I can do nice things to compensate for that, but I just can't stomach sacrificing my ego.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that is why it's so hard. And, and I think as when you apologize, um, this is something else, I, a trend I notice uh, is that you've got to take into account the comfort, the comfort and the comfortableness uh, of the other person more than your own sort of comfortableness. And what I mean by that is like, maybe you've decided in your mind that you really need to apologize for something or own up to something. Like you've sort of just um, decided to sort of swallow your pride and to 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 bite the bullet and to do it right. Um, it doesn't mean that, uh, that you're gonna be heard and it doesn't mean you can say it however you want. Like all that matters now is for me to apologize and everything's gonna be okay um, or, I can apologize in a way that kind of makes other people uncomfortable. I think that's part of the humbling process is to realize that you're not really out of the woods yet. You have to um be prepared to be uh to be rejected or to humble yourself again even as you apologize and and always as always to use your words as you do so.
0: Yes, yes. And I think I think it's okay to also apologize to people on a one-on-one basis. Like I don't necessarily I'm not necessarily a big fan of the public apology where mm-hmm. where everyone's, you know, because there is such a thing as losing face because like especially if you're in a position of leadership or power and then you you know, apologize in front of everyone and now 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 it's at a level where they can't respect you and they there's no way to move forward with them because you've just completely lost face. That I, I get that. I'm not saying that that's right, but I definitely see why that, that might be harmful to somebody who does have to make executive decisions on, on, on a daily basis. But I think there's nothing wrong with the private one-to-one apologizing. Like I think you can really throw your ego out there onto the fire when the stakes are that low.
1: Absolutely. Um, Sometimes that can be more confusing than good to to make a public apology. Um, Some people may not have been there when you lashed out or when you made your mistake, and then they'll be confused, um, and it may cause more harm than good. I think that in in any kind of more public uh, setting where some wrong has been done, there's always uh, one or a few people that were affected more than the others. Sure, And I think that it's just good measure to think hard about who those people were and what your act of betrayal meant for them and how they may have felt uniquely hurt by you and then to sort of single them out and even take the time to meet with them individually or, you know, at most, you know, a small group of people where you can sort of apologize uh, more generally.
0: And I, I mean, I, I find that when, when someone does that, you actually trust that person even more. I, yeah. I've, I've always found that when that person apologizes, I actually trust their level of competence at a much higher degree because I say to myself, I can trust that person because they they're able to control themselves. It's almost a, a a form of self mastery where it's like, this person knows like Icarus, like they're flying way too high to the sun and they're able to kind of land themselves. And I'm like, that's, that's, that that, that's even more of leadership because they're able to, to, to uh, perfect that self mastery.
1: Yeah. I have a pastor friend uh, on lookout mountain. His name's Joe Novenson. And he uh, he talks about his role as a pastor, kind of the spiritual leader of that community uh to to be what he calls the chief repenter um and i like that because the goal uh, of the of of our lives is not impeccability it's not to to not make any mistakes uh, mistakes are going to be made every day uh, misjudgments or a lack of judgment or care uh is going to happen every day whether we are you know the ultimate Uh, self-mastery guru or not Um, impeccability is not the goal but but as Joe says his his role is to model what it looks like to say you're sorry again and again and again and to come back to home base and adjust um, every time and you know great example of that in the Bible is the story of King David King David is at times shows cowardice and pride and insensitivity and uh, bloodlust, um, you know, and it's hard to commend him because he kills so many people and he he troubles so many people in his life. But it, and he's also uh, he also acts in murderous ways and adulterous ways, ways that a king, especially a king of Israel in the in the in the Bibles, should not. Um, but but what he 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 sort of inherits the epithet of of a man after God's own heart. That's from First Samuel chapter 13 and you know uh, god is in the process of rejecting king saul um and 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 choosing saul's successor in, in in king david and saul has you know is is outwardly amazing you know he stands heads and shoulder head and shoulders above everyone both literally and figuratively um, but he doesn't know how to humble himself before god primarily but also before samuel the prophet who who brings the the word of the lord and also before the people of israel to whom he's accountable um but but david uh david is is one he's he's different because mm, yeah. uh, and and you may wonder how does he earn the name a a man after god's own heart and i think it's because in spite of everything he knows how to come back to to home base that he is you know he was wrong when he did that, and he's willing to make amends, and to uh, even to make amends before, before God, before the Lord, in in that way.
0: Yeah, and, and you know, for those of of those uh, listeners who don't know, David essentially steals somebody's wife away, right? And 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 this is like, and he has that husband killed, and what what's really amazing about David is that I think we should use this as an example in our own lives where we say even prophets apologize to God. And this is something that's really important because like King David is, is like, there's first off, there's like in my, in Queens, there's like a thousand restaurants named King David. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a lot of kosher restaurants and things like that named King David. Even the flag of Israel has his star on it. So where we're thinking about one of the most iconic prophets of the Old Testament and even he has to get down on the knee and apologize to people that he has wronged. And he has to get down on the knee and apologize to God. So it's like if one of our most iconic prophets, you know, screws up and has to apologize, we should be we should be doing, you know, like what makes us so special?
1: Yeah. And one thing that that I, I struggle with, David, uh, David is a hard, a hard figure. You know, he has kind of a lot of contradictions in his life. Um, you know, after uh, Saul dies at the end of the first half of the, of Samuel's two books, you know, Jonathan dies. He, on one hand, uh, he sort of like kills everybody in Saul's uh, lineage, you know, to sort of protect his own throne and to consolidate his power. And he's commended for that. Um, there, are, there are some hard and contradictory, apparently contradictory issues in some of David's life. Um, The other thing that I struggle with is that he doesn't, he makes amends to Hashem uh, in in that story in Psalm 51, which is kind of the lyrical uh, companion to 1 Samuel 11 and 12, where the story, uh, 2 Samuel 11 and 12 where the story of of David and Bathsheba and Uriah and Nathan the prophet is is recounted. It's a beautiful and incredibly intricately structured story, uh, both in Hebrew and English. But the Psalm fifty one is sort of the lyrical companion to that. It's David's response, you know, and and it, he doesn't. But Psalm 51 is hard for me. It's beautiful. It's one of my favorite Psalms. It's hard for me though, because it seems like David is really just talking to Hashem only. And that's important. Yes. David needs to, he needs to address that relationship because according to God, David has despised the word of the Lord, which is like, you know, a um, huge no, no for uh, an is Isra- uh, an Israelite King. But in Psalm 51, David says against you to God, you only have i sinned and done what is evil in your sight and i find that um beautiful on one hand but also uh i struggle with it because it's like well david also upended the life of bathsheba sure. and the child that they lost because of this this episode right uh he also offended his uh he killed a man what about his family what about those people he um put his commander joab in a compromising situation what about joab um, nathan the prophet had to go to the king and tell him that you know you you're you're wrong man what about nathan you know what about all the people and so I, I like the example of david but it's not a it's not as clean cut as some other literary examples for me
0: yeah absolutely and i think i, th- I if i'm not mistaken i think god punishes david by taking away his first son so I, I think there are repercussions, I, I and you're right, Like some of these things are, are very horrific, and, and some of these things that he, he, he does, I think in the, it says somewhere that he has blood on his hands in some way, and he would not be mentioned in the Bible if he did not have that moment of, of, of coming to God, or he did not have that moment of apologizing. And I think his story is that much valuable because if he had just done all of those terrible things and gotten away with it, he wouldn't make it into the Bible, like, or, or something would he would have like, he would have had more things just taken away from him. Or he would be like, well, that's, that guy's a tyrant of history and so forth. So anyone, to anyone listening, don't just think I'm going to do a bunch of crazy bad stuff. And then when I'm 45 or 50, I'm going to be like, oh yeah, yeah. I'm so, so sorry about that. <laughs> like, because you know, like, don't, don't, don't plan your life out like that. Because you don't know if you're really gonna have that chance to live a really long life and be able to like come back. So I, I think the idea behind this is is try and be good in the moment. Like, don't do these terrible things that David did in the moment as much as humanly possible. However, if some of these things do happen, try and apologize to those people and apologize it can be, if there's some atheist, obviously listening, they're going to be like, well, what do I, do I apologize to a wall or something? And, and it's like, <laughs> I, I think, I think, you know, it's hard for them to grapple with, but apologize, you know, at least at the very least come to terms that you've done something wrong and have the humility to go before the people that you've offended. If you do believe in God, apologizing to that as well is probably a very helpful step to take. So I, I would say that that's really important and treat your life as if, you know, you're, you're I, like, think of your life as if you, you're being timed right now, right? And, and you don't, you there's no guarantee that you're going to make it to 60 and, and have this like, okay, I can just apologize for all this stuff at the, you know, moments before my, my deathbed. You know, there's this like, um, you know, like a lot of people like to ask this question, like, what if Hitler had apologized for everything that, you know, <laughs> the day before he died, would he have made it to heaven or something? And, like, don't think of it that way, because you don't no. know if you're ever going to be given that opportunity and you just you have to be very reflective and the other thing that that i want to add about this is that this reflection is not just this idea of like tricking God into heaven or whatever. It's not, it's not the goal here. It's so that you become a better ruler. Like I think when David apologized for all these things, he actually became a better King. I think that made him a much better ruler, a much more wiser ruler. So you're not just doing this to somehow fool God into the, you know, into the entrance to the club, so to speak, You're, you're doing these things to become a better person.
1: Yeah. And that's part of the reason I love the Bible so much, you know, um, is how how raw it is about these so-called heroes of the faith david is upheld as a standard of ultimately humbling himself and coming back to home base you know coming sort of like regaining moral and spiritual consciousness after being sort of unconscious for a while he's held up and he's held up throughout the ages in ancient israel as the king who does that you know who 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 turns? And that's the word in shuv. It's uh, the Hebrew ver- verb for turning and for repenting. He turns back. Wow. Uh, he turns away from his way that he's pursuing because it seems right in his in his own eyes and in the in the moment. But you know, through through the prophet uh, Hashem calls him back, and he turns. He sh- uh, this this verb shuv. Um, he he does that, and he's upheld as the standard for that. Um, but 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 the Bible doesn't pull any punches. It still presents him in all of his human flaws. It does so with Abraham and Moses, and and so on and fo- so forth. Uh, and that's part of the reason I love the Bible. And and I want to say one other thing. Um, I it's, I think it's easier to establish this outside of the life of David, but the Bible is also um, really clear that when we we turn or in the in the new testament the word is um uh, the greek word is metanoia which is really changing your mind um it's a kind of a renewal of your mind and changing your mind changing your your direction when we do these things uh kind of under the the subsection of repent that's very that's a very christian biblical word you know is is that it's not supposed to be abstract it's not supposed to be vague Um, when we Uh, come back to home base in this way and say we're sorry and genuinely apologize and genuinely humble ourselves yes it has kind of vertical elements yes you know uh god or universe and you but it always has horizontal elements um and and i see this really clearly Um, one of my favorite gospels of the four gospels is the gospel of luke because luke is so um, attentive to the underdog um, of first-century Judea—you know, the um, the tax collectors and the sinners and the soldiers and the the women and the um, you know all the pe- kind of the, the the lower class people at the time, people that didn't have the clout and the authority that others did, like the Pharisees and scribes. Uh, Luke is attentive, and he says in every single case that, like the story of Zacchaeus, uh, a known. Def- uh, fraudulent tax collector um Zacchaeus hears the call you know to to change his mind to turn his way to come back to home base to make amends i love that phrase to make amends and when he does so it has uh, vertical elements you know his relationship with god is restored but it's uh what comes out almost more clearly is the horizontal dimension that he is going to repay everyone he has defrauded four times what he stole from them And you see that throughout scripture. Um, I think you see that in the old and the new testaments. Yeah. And and that's so important to establish both the vertical and horizontal element of what we're talking about.
0: No, that's very beautiful. And I think you kind of answered one of the questions that I brought up uh, in the intro is like. Is saying I'm sorry enough? And I like this idea that you need to apologize. And okay, I'm I'm not you know maybe that's a lot for someone to repay everyone they've wronged four times what they what they right. stole. But at the very least, make amends and pay restitution for yeah. what it, it for the damage that you caused. You know, or if you're unable to fully do it, it there has to be some what I call like a noble attempt. To make restitution, you know, and 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 it, it's it's really you know that this is an issue of capacity, right? Like like do I have the power to pay back everyone four times, three times, two, half of what I caused damage, you know? But I think if you're even if you make restitution for fifty percent of the damage you caused, if you if that's the best that you can provide in that moment, that's better than nothing, and that's that's still like you you are you can sleep well at night knowing hey. I was able to pay back 50% of the damage I caused. Unfortunately, this is the best that I can do right now. And you can at least sleep well with that. Um, no, these are awesome points, my friend. I want to go into some, um, and, and I think David and the and the Bible is, is a really, really, really good place for like when you've done something and you're clearly in the wrong. I want to kind of talk about some gray areas and I'm thinking about situations where, there are two people that have, you know, done something wrong to one another. And there's a lot of questions that come with this. Like, should I be the first that apolog- the first one to apologize? Do I weigh the severity of, of the, the deeds that were done wrong to one another? So I'm wondering if you have any ideas about this, Sam?
1: Yeah. So, you know, this concept of making amends is uh, important. Um, and uh, we have to think about it, I think, on a regular basis. Um, like i said because the goal is not impeccability, we are going to continue to make mistakes um and be imperfect and mistreat people um it's just part of unfortunately part of our human experience but it's not the end of the story um we can make amends however sometimes people are not open uh to amends being made mm, um yeah you know you've hurt them so bad or so deeply and it may not be sort of objectively that bad but because of your unique dynamics, um, your the unique nature of your relationship, you and that person or you and that group of people, it was especially hurtful, especially poignant. It kind of cut them to the quick um, in, in, a, in a really hurtful way. And in that situation, they may never want to talk to you again. They may never want to see you again. And that's possible. And I think we have to, in humility, be prepared for that, um, be prepared to make amends, but also to understand that sometimes making amends is impossible or inadvisable, um, and when it is, um, that's hard and really frustrating. It's not fulfilling. It's not satisfying for us. Um, we can write a letter and receive no response. Yeah. Uh, we can issue an apology and 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 receive no forgiveness. Um, and I think in those situations, we have to be prepared for the worst. And part of the humbling and rehumbling process is that. Um, we may not be well received. Um, and so we have to sort of demonstrate our repentance or our sorriness or our, just our, our, our brokenness, the brokenness of our hearts in, in other ways, in other ways.
0: Yeah, I, 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 I definitely, I definitely hear you. And I think that, um, sometimes you will apologize and you won't get that big teddy bear hug at the, at the end of it. Um, I might have the number wrong on this, but I think in Judaism, it says, if you apologize three times and you're not forgiven on the third go around, God forgives you or some, something along. Yeah. I, I don't yeah. know if I have that number right. It might be five times, but I think it's three. And I, I think that's also kind of a a really important thing to think of is that you're not doing this for the big teddy bear hug at the end. Or, you know, or even you might have selfish motives. You might have the selfish motive of like, let me apologize so I can sort of rope this person back into my life and, and, um, just have them there. Like, well, you know, I miss having that friend in my life who I used to hang out with on Saturday. I'll just give this, you know, blanket apology, and then everything will go back to normal. And, and, but that's, that's kind of your, your desire to maintain the status quo in a friendship is not really a good onus, or it's not really a good motivation to apologize.
1: It's not no, and, and there are ways we can be manipulative about apologies, or uh, or reckless, or thoughtless about it. You know, and, and, in, and in the Christian world, sometimes we we sort of use um, some of the teachings of, of Jesus as uh, in a manipulative way as well. Um, you know, Jesus is famous for saying uh, to one of his disciples who asks, "How many times do I have to forgive a person who wrongs me?" Jesus is famous for saying. Uh, and and the the disciple says seven times, is that, is that enough? And Jesus says, no, not seven times, 70 times seven. So it's like Hebrew idea of seven, the number of completion and fullness is like, it's not really literally 70 times seven, 490 times. It's like as many times as needs, forgiveness needs to be extended. You need to extend. So Christians will sometimes use stories and, and famous sayings like that in a, kind of a manipulative, uh, coercive way, like, hey, I wronged you and I need you to forgive me. And if you're cr- truly Christian, then you have to forgive me, kind of
0: mm, wedging yeah.
1: wedging that scripture against them. And I think that's uh, really unfair and really, um, really wrong uh, to do that uh, misuse of scripture, for sure. And I, I think it's just a reminder that, you know, forgiveness is um, something I know uh, a little bit about, but man, I feel so out of my depth talking about such a weighty issue, right? I think about the Amish children that were killed several years ago, and how immediately in that schoolhouse in Pennsylvania they were shot, and immediately the Amish community extended this just decisive proclamation of forgiveness to the killer, and how uh, people criticize them for that. Do you realize what you you know what's happened and? And, and then, and so I, I can't even begin to talk about this, just how, just the depths of what we're talking about. um. But then also, like, God is, we are not God, you know, Um, God is able to, or the, you know, the universe, or however you want to talk about the higher power, if there is one, uh, we're not able, the bottom line is we are not able to forgive instantaneously, usually, yeah. it takes time, it's a process, and we have to remember that.
0: Definitely, definitely. Actually, that story about the Amish you just mentioned it actually reminds me of uh, Victor Frankl, who, when he got out of the, the concentration camp, he just forgave all of the Nazis. He said, nope, 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 nope. You, you guys were coerced into doing this. If I was in your situation, I may have been a Nazi too or something like that. And yeah, no, I, that's not even something that I feel that I can ever achieve. <laughs> it's nice. It's nice that we have like maybe a few examples on our fingers that we can count of people who have been able to do this. Um, and that's just standing there in the stars of awe, like awe and impressiveness. Uh, but yes, that's something that's radically um, up there. And, and, and it's it's good to have these archetypes, but we need not become those archetypes in order to no. like bask in their greatness. Okay. Thinking about uh the example that I brought up earlier where where it's a it's a two-way street of people wronging each other. So you do the right thing, and you own up to the things that you've done wrong. Right? You, you've, um, you're like, hey, man, I know that we were in an argument. I said some things that I should not have said. And you are the bigger man. You're, you are the person that that comes first. And 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 you say that is it reasonable to then have an expectation that that person also apologizes for the things that they did wrong to you? Or is this a question of like, well, let me just clean my own slate and it doesn't really matter as to what they did. So I'm wondering, do you demand that they apologize to you as well? Or do you just clean off your plate and walk away from the situation?
1: It's so hard not to receive an apology um, when you know you're owed one. And especially when you've already humbled yourself to either initiate a conversation or to issue an apology, I my heart goes out to people who are kind of waiting, waiting for, you know, justice in small and big ways, whether that's just a verbal apology or some act of restitution. Um, you know, my heart goes out to them. You know, I've been in some situations, very small, minor ones, compared to some of the major ones people face. Um, like So again, I just feel sort of my, my ignorance on this issue, the weightiness of this issue. Um, I think ideally you have to sort of plan for the worst. You have to deal with your own conscience, um, your own stuff, and um, do your best to acknowledge it if you can, um, but be prepared to not receive a reciprocated apology. And I think this goes back to something I've talked about in a previous podcast, which is that we have to really be strong in our own identity and our own purpose and in our own uh, our own dignity as human beings, that even when someone owes us an apology, but withholds it, which is wrong on so many levels, whether you're talking God or the universe, when people withhold something that's owed you, we have to really dig deeper into who we are sort of inherently that not even their the act of them withholding something that's owed us can really shake the foundation of who we are and uh, so this goes back to issues of identity and emotional maturity and kind of wisdom that we gain from life um and that's hard i i don't really have like a kind of a quick fix for that or a recipe I think what we can do, uh, at the very least, is initiate a conversation. Sometimes I've, I've, I've sensed that there was tension or friction, and I knew that you know, one of us or both of us needed to apologize, and maybe in the exact same way. But then when I started into a conversation with them about what was going on, it turns out that there, was, there were other issues at play, and there was actually other, other kind of more important things that I needed to apologize for. It was not the fact that I kind of yelled at them in the moment or said something sharp to them in the moment but it was like deeper older things that had not been addressed like bigger wounds. Hmm. And so that's the role that a conversation can play, good listening and asking of questions. And I think the courage to initiate and the gentleness, not demanding, hey, we need to talk, but hey, can we talk? I uh, yeah. <laughs> it would be it would be such a it would be such a favor to me and I just having more of a humble approach from the beginning.
0: Yes, yes, yes. And it's funny, as you were talking, my my mind also shifted back to Buddhism again, where when we are apologizing, I think the worst thing that we could have is expectations. I think expectations is what really kills us in the end, because let, let's just say you're 100% sincere in your apology. Let, let's just say you have no manipulative ulterior motives, but you still kind of harbor the expectation of okay, I'm going to apologize. And then that person is going to apologize for what they did to me. I think that that kind of kills the soul in a way when you have expectations on how others will react to you. And I think that, you know, under the, 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 the Buddhist mantra, in some way, you should just apologize. And it's nice if that person also apologized back. But I think that those expectations are really what can, 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 can harm your soul. Whereas if you have no expectations, apologize, you're going to bed and you're going to sleep really well. You're going to, you're going to sleep like a lamb. You're going to go to bed. You're going to be fine. And that other person may not sleep so well because they didn't, they, they internally did not do what was required of them.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of people uh, that I feel, um, you know, some kind of unresolved issue with and i would love to the opportunity to sit down with them at length and really discuss thoroughly you know explain myself excuse myself but also apologize and um you know i'm probably never going to be granted that um and i I do want to emphasize um prioritizing sort of if you do have the opportunity to talk to somebody prioritizing their comfort level over yours there's a way there's a way to apologize that actually can be really uncomfortable and like make it worse for them. Um, and that's part of the humbling process. And, and I also wanna say something too, like if there's ever a chance to to um, sort of say and do hard things, we should have the courage to do that. And sometimes we need a major life event to kind of jolt us into action, whether that's the death of a loved one or you know, the loss of a job or a major life transition something like that. And I don't want to wish any of those things on anyone, but to recognize those when they happen and, um, to have the courage to say, you know what, I haven't talked to you in a while and I'm sorry for the way that I've been. And I want to apologize for this. And even to say things like, I love you and I'm proud of you. I don't know you, we have to look for opportunities to say and do hard things when they come along the way.
0: Absolutely. And I think the death of a loved one can be a wake-up call because a lot of people, when, when someone dies, they have all of this regret now. Like, oh man, I never got a chance to apologize for, or I never got to make amends, like like you said from the Bible, for yeah. these things that I did. And something good can come from that death in the sense that you're like, okay, let me rectify these relationships while these other people are still alive. So I think that that, yeah. that the death of a loved one can create a sense of urgency and, and agency in our own life, because now, now, the, now the clock is ticking. You know that people will die, and you will not get a chance to apologize and fix what needs to be fixed. Um, yeah. Shifting gears a little bit here, I want to speak about statute of limitations with you. Yeah. I have probably done a bunch of crappy stuff from the ages of 13 to 16 or seven, right? Like I was not necessarily the best when we were teenagers, right, man? Like we were not, we were not the best of people. And I'm wondering what is the statute of limitations on, on the things like, is there, can we all arrive at a certain age and say, I am a different person right now. And therefore the sins of the past have been kind kind of uh, absolved from me or because, and I, and the reason I mention this is that there is this idea of, um, I think in the organization, Alcohol Anon- Anonymous, you actually have to go back and apologize to everybody. You have done something wrong. Now it could be I'm not sure, I think I'm not, I I don't know that much about the organization, but it might be maybe the people that you wronged while you were intoxicated. I'm not entirely sure how that works, but there's this idea that you have to make amends with absolutely everybody you've wronged in the past, and I'm wondering on a practical scale, Sam, can we forgive ourselves for things we may have done as teenagers, or if we're considerably older in life, where you know, in our mid 40s, 50s, and 60s, do we really have to apologize for something that happened when we were 22?
1: Man, yeah, I think that uh, you know there is the issue of over apologizing, um, yeah. which uh, you sent me an article recently um about uh sort of that move that trend and how people are sort of awaking especially women who have uh, maybe like more sensitive generally speaking to ways that they wrong or are wronged and and how women have sort of suffered under the tyranny of over apology over apologizing and uh so there is that issue and we don't i think there's a a place uh, for talking about that, you know, to not overdo it. But I have been struck in the last few years at how I can go for years without seeing someone um, and, and then see them. And uh, for example, um, I graduated high school in 2005. I was one of a class of 13 people. It was a small uh, parochial school out in the rural Iowa. So really small classes, you know, And it was actually also a boarding school, so so I didn't see any uh, like over half my class for um, for years and years and years, like in some cases, uh, you know, 15 years basically until, or 14 years until last summer, I guess. Um, We had a reunion, and I saw some of them for the first time in the last um, last summer, uh, in the in in 14 years, and there were some teachers there, and there were some you know some words that I exchanged with one of the teachers one time that were um, I needed to I felt like I need to apologize for. And it wasn't like I was thinking about those relationships and ways that I had failed in um, relationships with my classmates and my teachers and some other people for 14 years. Um, but it was like as soon as I saw them, it was like my conscience kind of smote me a little bit and I was like, oh yeah, you know, this that was a that was a lifetime ago. Um, but you know what? I actually really did hurt them and wrong them. And I, I didn't start off by saying, Hey, I'm sorry for being me. Like that's, that would be an issue of over apologizing. Right. Um, But, but just to, just to start talking and it was like, it was all dredged up and awakened and not in like a dirty, a manipulative way dredged up, but like, as soon as I saw them, it was like those memories were activated for the first time in a long time. And it actually felt really good and right to be able to see them and to say, hey, you know, I'm sorry for the way that I was um, in that situation. And um, you don't have to, again, I think there's a place to, uh, there's room to say, don't overdo it. Um, That can be a turnoff as well, but just to be sensitive to it, not to write it off. Um, I was really surprised, but I think that's how my life. Will continue to go is that when we see people or memories, new things happen, memories are activated in a way that we didn't know was possible.
0: Thank you for that insight, Sam, because I think you've answered my question in that if you randomly stumble upon one of these people that you may have wronged in your early twenties or in your teenage years, you should probably, you should definitely apologize. Like absolutely, and it may not be the first thing out of your lips, but like work up to it. And even if it's kind of done in a, you know, like, Hey, I was probably a real jerk back then. Like it doesn't, you don't have to get on like hands and knees and like, be like, I'm so sorry, but like mention it, even if it's in a slightly cavalier way of just saying, Hey, I was probably a real jerk back then. And I'm really sorry. I cleaned up my life or I'm matured or whatever. Um, I think that's really important, but I think there is no onus to go through all of your Facebook friends, go, go you know, start looking people up. Uh, I think we're old enough to remember the yellow pages. Probably no one uses that. <laughs> but like, you don't have to open up the yellow pages or Google search um, random people that you may have like uh, yelled at, you know, like, hey, you know, cause like, I think that, that that in itself is not really authentic. And I think that if you are doing this like thing where you are looking up really random archaic people from the past, There's a lack of authenticity there, because you're just following a a grocery list, you're you're shot, you're following the grocery list of like, okay, I need to apologize to Michael in sixth grade for and that that in itself lacks genuineness and authenticity.
1: Yeah. And I think, uh, the, the moral of the story is there, moral of the story there is to, uh, to maintain and cultivate a tender conscience, I think, um, not overly tender, but mature, but also tender and seasoned. Um, and so when the opportunity does arise, we're ready, you know, we're kind of in the starting blocks, ready to go. And that's, I love Jesus is saying, you know, out of the uh, abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so keeping kind of your uh, your heart in a good heart and mind in a good and healthy place um, enables you to to uh, to act when you need to. You know, I was dating a girl recently uh, within the last couple of years. And uh, dating her reminded me so much of a previous relationship years ago. Um, and a girl, uh, just a you know, uh, a girl that was very similar, I think, to her, and or at least our dynamics were similar. And it reminded me of some really important ways that I had let her down and um, hurt her, sure. um, and maybe you know, failed her. And um, I uh, I wrote a letter to her, and um, it was one of those really good moments for me. That I receive humbly because I know that I wasn't owed uh, a response by her, but she, she just emailed me back and was like, thank you, your letter means a lot. And I, I do forgive you. Does that mean she wants to be my friend again, my best friend again? No, it doesn't. Um, I, I got lucky, you could say, you know, in that situation. Um, but it was, it took dating this other girl to remind me. So it can be either to see someone in the flesh or to sort of have like a parallel experience that can activate your conscience in that way.
0: Absolutely. And I think you actually just came up with a distinction that I didn't even think of is that even if you committed this like transgression, in an earlier state of your life, you also have to kind of take into consideration the closeness that you had with that person. So even though you may have been only 19 years of age and you were a totally different Sam or whatever back then, I think that in when it comes to romantic relationships, the closeness and the and the glue of those relationships, that might be an exception where it's like, okay, I'm gonna really reach into the archives here because I spent a substantial amount of time with this person,
1: yeah, absolutely. You have to take all of that stuff into consideration, and um yeah, and not everybody wants an apology. you know, you have to uh, just follow kind of follow your your gut in the moment, um, but also kind of maintain a readiness of mind um, in case something does come up.
0: Yes, absolutely., uh, Sam, thank you once again for being on the show today.
1: Yeah, my pleasure, thank you.
0: This concludes the 44th episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.